Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Location. This is the Bruce Exclusive, and here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Oh, Bruce, we just listened to you. I know. It's a double Bruce day. It's a double Bruce day. We just had too much to go. So you've already listened to the episode that dropped earlier today that went through emails and got you all caught up. And now you're going to listen to an episode that brings on CBS Sports's Chris Trapasso to get you all set up for draft season with some players to watch at the Shrine Game, which... If you're listening to this, the Davis drops, which is the third, it's tonight. Or if you're listening to this Friday, go back and watch it and watch some players. In addition, some players to watch at the Senior Bowl on Saturday the 5th. So without any further ado, we're going to get into it. But before we do it, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get the commercials out of the way really early on. Stick with me. Come on back. We'll meet with Chris Trabasso. Be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. You know, there's been so much news recently with the Buffalo Bills that you almost forget we're in draft season. Not only that, we're in probably the best part of draft season that isn't actually the draft because for the last time, for a long time, you're going to be able to see college prospects actually play football. And that is, we're All-Star Week. NFLPA Bowl, the Shrine Game, the Senior Bowl. And by the time you are listening to this, if you are listening to this on Thursday morning the 3rd, the Shrine Game is tonight. The Senior Bowl is Saturday. And before the season started, I had a gentleman on my podcast and said, hey, Chris 
tell me about the players we need to be watching this upcoming season. Now, because that was a long time ago, you all have inevitably forgotten that. But you haven't forgotten Chris because you never forget the way people make you feel. And so because of that, I decided to bring Chris back on before you saw the Shrine game and the Senior Bowl and say, okay, let's talk about some players at positions of interest for the Buffalo Bills. So joining me is Mr. Chris Trabasso from CBS Sports. Mr. Trabasso, how you doing? I'm doing really good, Bruce. Thanks for having me on again. And I just love being on with you because of how awesome your voice is for a podcast. I think I once told Greg Tomset that he had the best voice for radio or for podcasts. I, I think it, it's it's basically like barbell wings against uh, Lenovo pizza or whatever would be. To me, barbell stands by itself, but I think you guys are right up there one and two in terms of just how you make the listeners and your guests feel when they're on your podcast. Well, I really appreciate that. As long as I am bar bill in this analogy, I think we're yes. fine because okay. th this is, and this is going to be really quite frankly sh shameful for me to say, I haven't had Lenovo pizza. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Next time, next time. I swear I I've been slowly introduced to Western New York pizza. The okay. first one I got was, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking right now. Nate and I went to the, the pizza place that has the uh, the Parmesan on top of it, and Macy's? it's a uh, it's a, no we've been, we've done that before. It's like a big chain in Western New York, but it's only oh, there. Uh, Picasso's, but those are wings. Picasso's. Picasso's. Gotcha. It's Picasso's. Yeah, there we go. Great pizza. I just had to kind of just kind of talk myself into it. You know what I mean? And we really enjoyed that. So the next time we go up, I think we did Imperial at one point. So I love next Imperial. time we go up, good. I've had Macy's. So I think Lenovo is probably next on the list. So as long as I'm Barbill in this scenario, when it comes to podcast voices, then I'm fine. So you guys are both awesome. So thanks for having well, me again. I, well, I appreciate that. Thanks for being on. And this is really helpful because Bill's Mafia is going to listen to this. They're going to say, okay, I, I need to turn the page, right? A lot of people are still kind of stinging a little bit from the Bills lost to the Chiefs. And they're like, I don't really want to watch the Super Bowl. It hurts too much. And for those people, they want to turn the page. That's what they want to do. And the best way to forget about the old girl is to get with the new girl. And the new girl is draft season. And the yes. new girl is the Shrine Game and the Senior Bowl. And even though we know very well that by the time the draft comes around, the Buffalo Bills are going to have a completely different set of needs because they will have already experienced free agency. That doesn't mean you start not looking at those players because there are players out there who are in positions of interest for the Buffalo Bills that we want to talk about. And I want to start with the Shrine game. Now, we could go all day about just the Shrine game. We could go all day about just the Senior Bowl. But in respect to your time, we're not going to. So I selected a couple people that I want to talk about. And specifically, some things that I think might be interesting prospects for Bills Mafia to keep an eye on. The first one is UCLA wide receiver Kyle Phillips. The reason why I wanted to talk about Kyle Phillips is because they have often described him as a do-it-all player. That's what you hear about Kyle Phillips, right? He's 5'11", he's in the 190s, he's a do-everything sort of player, and when you think about the prospect of potentially losing Isaiah McKenzie, when you think about the opportunity to add offensive weapons in the draft, you think, okay, maybe this is someone who might attract the attention in the lead up to the Shrine game. And I just want to have you just talk a little bit about Kyle Phillips and what you think he brings to the table, whether or not he, fit, he fits the do-it-all thing. Because, you know, that's the way he's been labeled. 
but is that what he's going to be at the next level? And whether or not you think he's a fit with some of the things that the Buffalo Bills like to do. I don't think he is a fit to be the next Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, I, I think a lot of what Isaiah McKenzie brought to the Bills and, you know, being able to stand in in Foxborough and for Cole Beasley and have a hundred yard game, return kicks, be the jet sweep guy. I don't think Kyle Phillips is that type of athlete. Ironically, what I do think is that if there's a role for him on this team in 2022, it would probably be in the Cole Beasley role because watching his film at UCLA, I had this weird thought that Kyle Phillips runs routes like he's in an invisible maze. Like they're not, it's not an out route where he runs at the corner and then breaks to the outside. He starts to the outside, comes back into the outs- inside like he's going to run a slant, then accelerates up the field, then breaks to the outside. There's like four or five different cuts in a lot of his routes to create separation. And I think he needs to do that because, again, he doesn't look like he's a supreme athlete. He's not crazy explosive off the line. I think Isaiah McKenzie ran 4-4-5 or 4-4-3, I believe, um, when he came into the NFL out of Georgia, I don't think that's where Kyle Phillips is going to be, but that get open underneath extension of the run game type of wide receiver that you can probably get almost assuredly get on the third day of the draft. That feels like Kyle Phillips to me. There were a few plays, uh, where he was able to stretch the field for UCLA. I don't think, um, he's going to be a true vertical threat, just like Cole Beasley really wasn't. And I don't think he could come in and, and be an all pro slot receiver like Cole Beasley arguably over the past really three or four years has been a top three to five slot receiver in the NFL. He obviously got all pro votes in 2020. I I don't think Kyle Phillips is that talented. He's not that sudden, but the intricacies in how he gets open really opened my eyes. And that is his, a clear strength to his game that I'm not going to say Stevie Johnson esque but there seems to be maybe some ad-libbing, but it worked. It didn't matter if he was on the perimeter, if he was in the slot where he mostly was, um, or in space. So I think he could give you a little bit of Isaiah McKenzie and a, a fair amount of what the Bills had in Cole Beasley, that get open, find the void in a zone uh, type of slot receiver to be that possession guy in the Bills offense. If Mike Mayock was sitting here right now, he'd probably tell me that Phillips was quicker than fast is probably yeah. what would happen. So I, uh, I always think about Mayock whenever I have moments like that. And I think, wow, that's a Mayockism, isn't it? But moving on to another player on the offensive side of the board, I want to talk about Keontae Ingram. Yeah. One of the reasons I want to talk about Keontae Ingram in the same breath that I talk about Kyle Phillips is because we've seen him run a lot of routes at the shrine game. And there is a little bit of that running back slash maybe some wide receiver stuff in there. Can you line them up in the slot? Can you do some other things with them? And for a team that is looking for more diverse offensive weapons, he sticks out as a player after one year at USC, right? Was productive and is deciding to come out in the draft. What do you think about Keontae Ingram? I think he is the modern day power back that he's not, um, he's not stiff. He's not looking to lower his head. Um, there is some juice in his lower half. So like I, I think he accelerates well once he receives the handoff. The vision between the tackles is very good. And if you're going to be a power back that that isn't going to jump cut laterally like LaShawn McCoy and hit big gains that way, if you've got to be uh, 
between the tackles, you have to have good vision and read your blockers um, as those lanes are materializing. And I think Keontae Ingram does a great job doing that. Um, and you're right. I, I think we didn't see a lot of production in the receiving game, but his athletic profile does kind of project him to be maybe, I'm not going to say obviously Debo Samuel, but be that wide back, that new position um, that Debo Samuel has really made popular during these playoffs because the athleticism is there. And, and, and when I said that Ingram is kind of the modern day power back, he is always falling forward. And, and you hear a term during the scouting process a lot that how running backs have lean, like as they're running, they're kind of like on an angle as they're running. That's Keontae Ingram. He's a big, very chiseled running back. And it doesn't look very difficult for him to meet a linebacker in the hole after three yards and then carry him for a yard and then fall forward. And then all of a sudden that average blocked play turns into a five or a six yard gain. So I, I don't think there's anything spectacular about his game, but at the size and with the effortless power he has, you like that there is some springiness from receiving the handoff through the second level. I think he's almost like a more athletic version of Zach Moss. And maybe with Joe Brady and Ken Dorsey, these younger um, guys running the offense for Josh Allen calling the plays, they could certainly incorporate him in the jet sweep game, uh, in the screen game, because there is some juice that he can um, get through the second level with some acceleration, probably more so than Zach Moss. Moving to the other side of the ball, one of the discussions that's going on, and I recently wrote an article for uh, buffalorumblings.com that's going to be dropping here soon about Harrison Phillips is the one-tech position. Because if Harrison Phillips doesn't end up re-signing with the Buffalo Bills, you have Starla Tule under contract, and that's about it. Like That's about the extent of the Bills' defensive tackle room when it comes to one-techs. And one of the discussions that's going to be happening this offseason, I think a lot, is the idea that if you get a two-gapping, one-tech defensive tackle, someone who can effectively play in two gaps, that really helps Tremaine Edmonds, and it really helps continue further develop Ed Oliver. And yeah. so because of that, a lot of people, you know, obviously immediately go to Jordan Davis, and I, I, I get that. I totally get that. I don't think picking 25th overall is really going to be a spot where you can get Jordan Davis, but you know, I, you know, weirder things have happened, but I do want to ask you about one person. Then we're going to shoot off from him. And that is Tennessee defensive tackle, Matthew Butler. Now I will openly admit that I like Butler, but not in a two gapping role. I like him better in a one gapping attacking style defense. I don't think asking him to fire off the snap, put his hands into a defender's, you know, into an offensive player's shoulder pads, hold the point of attack, and then disengage left or right. I don't think that's what he does. But because it's going to come up in conversation, Butler's going to come up in conversation. It's going to happen. I want to ask you a little bit about it. Do you think he's a fitted nose for the Buffalo Bills? Now, obviously, nose is a zero tech, but it's a whole other thing. Do you think he's a fitted one tech? And do you think that, Maybe he is actually a two-gapping one-tech, and I just have him all wrong. No, I I think you have him pretty spot on. I mean, he's 6'4", 290 range. That's not really um, where you would want a one-technique or a zero-technique, like that body type. And watching Butler's film, I mean, he plays with his hair on fire. Like, there, it's there's not a lot of timidness to his game. I, I don't really think he would like too much if he wasn't able to attack now, he'll probably be available 
on the third day of the draft. So at that point, you could get good value on him. And we always hear about, especially guys like AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham, um, that they can be these inside-outside players where they're defensive ends, but they can also, because they're a little bit thicker, wider body players with more weight to their frame, they can play inside if they need to. Matthew Butler is kind of the opposite of that in that he is a three or a five technique that can kick outside if you need him to and rush the passer. We saw, I don't know if it was in the Jets game. There was a game that I remember tweeting about it and a lot of people saw it too, where the Bills used Ed Oliver on the edge. I, I, I do believe it was the season finale, the regular season finale against the Jets, where they used Ed Oliver out on the edge and just said, hey, you're athletic. You play with a high motor use some of your pass rushing moves against a tackle. And I think he had a sack um, against Zach Wilson um, when he was facing a left tackle. I think that is where you want to deploy Matthew Butler if you draft him. looks like he has very long arms as well. Um, so I, I think in today's NFL where defensive linemen are getting a little bit smaller, could he play one technique in a pinch? Sure. But it seems as though Brandon Bean um, and Sean McDermott, certainly they really do like that. 315 plus pound player on the inside next to Ed Oliver. The one caveat I'll say to kind of spin this back is that Starla Tulele played pretty well this year and coming off the opt out from COVID, he looked a lot sleeker. He was not, I don't think he was 330, 345 like he had been in his Panthers days in his first couple of seasons with the Bills. So maybe there is an evolution there with the philosophy and say, hey, if you're 300 pounds, but you have long arms and you're six foot four and you can control blockers to allow Ed Oliver free reign, um, you know, up the B gap at the three technique spot and free up some more room at the second level for Tremaine Edmonds. That could be where Matthew Butler would ultimately fit onto this defense. If you're talking about probably fourth or fifth round or sixth round at this point, and it is it's still relatively early, we don't know for sure, then I think that would make a lot of sense. And I agree with you, you know, Jordan Davis is the guy that everyone's going to say, hey, you need a zero technique or a one technique, that's your guy. But if he's going to only be available in the first round, it's not worth taking a player that's going to really be a dirty work guy for you in the first round. So I know that we've been talking about Shrine Game players. Mm -hmm. And the next person I'm going to talk about on the list is not a Shrine Game player, but it's an offshoot of the conversation that we were just happening having. And that is, I want to talk about Travis Jones. So Love him. I will openly, I'm so glad. So I will openly admit I'm a huge Travis Jones guy. Uh, really huge Travis Jones guy. I love the fact that he stuck around at UConn mm -hmm. when he didn't have to develop his game. I love the fact that Travis Jones can just decide to disengage with you. Just when he decides to, he's yeah. just going to. Six foot five, 333. And when I look at someone who I think, okay, I need someone who can, who can two gap, right? That's what I need. I need someone who can just decide, you know what? I think I'm done with you. And then just move on from a blocker. There's something intrinsically fascinating about that level of play strength. And I think you're starting to see that in senior bowl practices right now. Yep. Tell me, number one, where you think Travis Jones is going to go. Do you think he's a day two player? Do you think he sneaks in the back half of round one? Like, what do you think? Where do you think Travis Jones goes? And then just your general philosophy on him as a player. I'm so glad to hear that you like him as much as I do. I like him more than Jordan Davis relative to where they're both probably be picked. And I don't really think there's that much of a difference between the two in terms of just how good of football players they are playing at Georgia being six, six and three sixty. It was obvious that Jordan Davis was going to get highlighted in like every Georgia game this season. 
I don't know if I want my zero technique or, or my one technique to be 360 pounds. I, I, I get that on the surface, it would be sensible to think, well, that's a harder body to move and, and that would make him easier to two gap. I think Travis Jones at 335, still massive and at, at around six foot five, gets upfield a lot quicker. I think his conditioning is a little bit better. And you have almost all, probably 90% of the power that Jordan Davis has, where he can be that pocket pusher, where a lot of teams, um, I instantly think of Dexter Lawrence, who went in the first round to the Giants from Clemson a few years ago. He was mammoth. He was 6'5", 350. He had some pass rushing moves, but he was actually productive as a pass rusher because he could just lean on his bull rush and the poor center that was blocking him in any ACC game or when they were in the college football playoff could know that bull rush was coming and couldn't do anything about it. And suddenly the center was in the quarterback's lap. If the Bills could not just have a zero or one technique that is two gapping and, you know, keeping the linebackers free, keeping an Oliver in a one-on-one -on -one situation, but could actually push the pocket on a consistent basis. And I know Starla Tulele did it a little bit more this season than he had in the past. That's a huge win for this defense. I think he'll be picked probably in the second round. And it's, you know, early returns on his week at the senior bowl have been very good that, like you mentioned, he's been able to disengage and push back whoever he's facing the top senior competition um, that this country has to offer at the collegiate level during these first couple of days of practice. So I, I really like Travis Jones. It's not a position that's super valuable to me, but it is a position, like you mentioned, that the Bills are probably going to need. Um, and don't be surprised with their history, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, that they go defensive line heavy in free agency and certainly in the draft if they don't land all of their free agent targets. I would actually be okay. I mean, it would certainly be relative to who would who else would be available if in round two or if he sl slides to round three, if the Bills picked that zero or one technique, that's how good I think Travis Jones can be in the NFL. Now, it wouldn't be a Bruce exclusive podcast if I didn't talk about defensive backs. Like, that's, that's pretty much thing. part of the course at this point, right? Everyone knows at this point that I've been pounding the table for defensive backs on the Buffalo Bills for what seems like forever. And my cries have consistently been ignored <laughs> and they've left me in the corner to shake in uh, a puddle but moving along <clears throat> that went to a dark place there for a second i want to talk <laughs> about dallas flowers and the reason i want to talk about dallas flowers is because i'm i'm starting to get rumors that some people think he might be a safety and some people think he's a corner and i, I think he's a corner to be honest i don't understand why people would think he's a safety but that's okay um and there's some return game stuff with flowers and given the fact that the bills ended this year with Micah Hyde returning punts because they didn't trust anybody else. I I don't know if you just walk into next year and just go, well, Marquez Stevenson, I know we didn't trust you before, but we trust you now. I think maybe there's some opportunity here to kill two birds with one stone. Tell me a little bit about Flowers and what you think. Yeah, I'll start off by saying I do not think Dallas Flowers is a safety. I think he should be an outside per perimeter cornerback Certainly his film playing at Pittsburgh State, the fighting Brian Mormon and John Browns, um, <laughs> wasn't facing top-level competition, but he stands out on film. I mean, he's 6'1", 195, arms around 32 inches. Um, he kind of reminds me, and this is a, a, a former uh, Carolina Panther that Brandon Bean knows very well, James Bradbury, who played, college, or who played his college ball at Samford 
is one of the biggest, longest corners in the league and has won with that length and his athleticism. And Dallas Flowers, um, I think he's very fluid. I think you, it's kind of rare in today's NFL to see a corner who returns kicks. A lot of them are wide receivers. Um, but I think that kind of translates to how well he can follow receivers in coverage. Um, he had a very good week at the Shrine Bowl covering Kyle Phillips, who we mentioned earlier, who should be a receiver that uncovers when facing Dallas Flowers because he is that bigger outside type. And we know the Bills are not afraid uh, on day three to roll the dice. And really last year on day two with Spencer Brown to roll the dice on a small school player that has big time upside because of their athleticism. And I mean, that's certainly been a Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott philosophy in general with Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. But like with Taron Johnson from Weber State, um, like I mentioned, um, Spencer Brown, been a lot of selections later in the draft. Daryl Johnson from North Carolina a and I, I really like Dallas Flowers' uh, film, and I think you're right. The return game is legitimate. He was a very accomplished returner, I believe, in community college before he transferred for this one season at Pittsburgh State. You watch the film, you see someone that plays fearless on the perimeter because I think he understands how fluid those hips are, how light his feet are, and that he is constantly making plays on the football. He's not what I always say, and it's no disrespect to the guy, always reminds me of two players. Leotis McKelvin and Ronald Darby had all the athleticism in the world, but their ball awareness was so bad. They would have so many passes completed over their shoulders when they were in perfect coverage. Dallas Flowers knows when the ball is arriving and usually makes a play on it. So it's kind of hard to peg at this point where he'll ultimately be drafted just because it's Pittsburgh state. He's not at the senior bowl probably um, will be a day three selection, but there's a lot to like, and I'm with you, Bruce. I've been kind of banging the drum for the bills to go cornerback. I've, I've thought, I think in each of the last like four drafts after Tredavious white, that they were going to pick one in the first or the second round. And they haven't done that. Uh, Dallas flowers. I really believe has um, starter upside from Pittsburgh state because of his size and athleticism. And then you get the luxury of the fact that he's an accomplished, very explosive returner. Well, I'm really glad I brought him up now. I'm feeling very, uh, feeling very accomplished myself for doing that. Now, we want to shift gears from the Shrine game over to the Senior Bowl. I know we talked about Travis Jones and everything, but that was just because we were talking about defensive tackles. And I want to move to the Senior Bowl. So we've watched the Shrine game on Thursday night because we're totally turning the page and we're moving on to the next thing. But the Senior Bowl is on Saturday. And I want to talk about, right off the bat, Boston College interior offensive lineman, Zion Johnson. Because coming into the week, guard, maybe center, taking a lot of reps at center at the Senior Bowl has looked pretty good. When you think the Bills finding Ryan Bates, not really finding him, but yeah, finding him, I guess, on their on their bench, this back half of the regular season has sort of muffled a little bit the fans appetite for an interior offensive lineman but not me absolutely not me i am not i'm not total i'm totally not down we are a turned ankle away from being exactly where we were before when it comes to the buffalo bills so for me i still have my eye very much on interior offensive line and zion johnson is one of those players with that interior offensive line versatility that you know the team loves so much where do you see zion johnson going and do you think number one the bills moved to a much more gap run style in the back half of 2021. There's a lot less zone. Do you think Zion Johnson, number one, 
can fit what they want to do running the ball. And number two, where do you think he's going to go? Yes, I think he would be a very good fit in more of a gap and power scheme that, as opposed to a zone blocking scheme. At Boston College, that's what that organ or that's what that program has done for a long time. That they want to get downhill. They use a fullback. The guards are pulling a lot. Uh, there's just a lot of man on man blocking in that scheme. And Zion Johnson, multi year starter, um, was very productive. There's not um, a lot of messy film. It's very clean. And the fact that he showed yesterday that he can play some center, he's been practicing his snaps. Like you mentioned, that fits in with what the Bills love, with whether it be John Feliciano or Ryan Bates, to be able to play multiple positions. Uh, you could have Zion Johnson on this team for a year as a backup guard, a, you know, emergency starter, and then potentially after Mitch Morse's uh, career is done in Buffalo, he could ultimately be a center. I Right now, I'm not done grading the interior offensive line class and but it doesn't feel like it's that strong of a group so that could push zion johnson up a little bit kenny on uh, green from uh texas a&m is the other kind of guard that i think people have routinely mocked inside the first round um but i i feel like he's probably a day two selection and that's kind of where i have him he's my top interior offensive lineman right now just balance pretty good power the size that you want in a guard. He's not too big where he's uh, immobile or looks awkward in space, but he's not short armed or, you know, doesn't have enough weight. So he gets pushed back very often. And I love, especially on the interior blockers that have started like 40 plus games. And he was on the draft radar for multiple seasons because he looked apart early in his Boston college career. And if the bills don't go defensive line um, with that second round pick, I could see them, going with Zion Johnson. Now I will say if he gets to the combine and he tests really well, he could lock himself inside the first round because he is having a good week at the senior bowl. And that to me is a little bit crazy that you should watch the film as opposed to weighing that against three days of practice in Mobile, Alabama. But it seems as though the bills and a lot of teams put a lot into um, what happens, what transpires on the field during those practices. And Zion Johnson has had, a very good week, and I'm not surprised by it. I, I think he is a decently high ceiling, but mostly a high floor player that is not going to be a liability. He can be that quality, you know, Ryan Bates-esque starter early in his career. Every year, the topic of the Buffalo nickel comes up mm. with the Buffalo Bills and the fan base leading up to the draft. And the last two years, there's been a player that the fan base has probably fallen in love with and Jeremy Chin, Chin Kyle Duggar, him. and then Hamsa Nasruddin last year. Yep. But for this year, there may be another one. I mean, I know that I feel like after two years of this, we should probably just not expect that to be a thing because it always seems to be a vastly overhyped concept that we just kind of attach for no apparent reason to our romanticism. But in the event that you're looking to get hurt again, I think UTSA cornerback Tariq Woolen might be the guy for you. He's the bad boy, right? You don't fall in love with bad boys because they're just going to break your heart. It's the same way with this one. Don't fall in love with Tariq Woolen as some uh, very versatile, athletic, sub-package defender because the Bills aren't going to draft him. But <laughs> in the event that you had a team who was going to draft him or in the event that you decided, you know what, I'm ready to get hurt again. In the event that you decided those things, tell us a little bit about Tariq. Well, I definitely think he's better to be that Buffalo nickel, big nickel player, as opposed to 
playing on the perimeter at just traditional cornerback where he was for the Roadrunners. Um, in watching his film, I saw someone that first off is gigantic. I mean, he's over six foot three, almost six foot four playing cornerback. I can't remember a corner that was that big. I mean, Brandon Browner, maybe of this, of the Seattle Seahawks, um, you know, part of that Legion of boom for a while, six foot four is really big. And, and I think in today's NFL, you don't necessarily want one of your corners to be that big because they're dealing with elite separators and guys that are super sudden. That's not really Tariq Woolen's game. He is extraordinarily explosive in a straight line. He's a linear type of player. Uh, he kind of got put on the draft radar by Bruce Feldman before the season when he was on his freaks list. You know, he's going to jump over 40 inches. He's going to run in the four fours. He's huge. He's got a long wingspan. He's another one too, though, like Dallas Flowers does a great job reading the wide receiver's eyes and their hands. When they, when he sees those eyes light up and the hands go up, he's disrupting the football. He, they did get an opportunity against Illinois. There were some other bigger games um, where he got to face decent competition, looked a little bit heavy-footed um, when he had to just change directions on a dig route or a, a post corner. But when he could attack downhill, I think that's when he's – at his best. He's at the senior bowl this week. The next couple of days of practice will be really big for him. But like Jeremy Chin, who had a great week at the senior bowl a few years ago, Kyle Duggar, I think if they follow up a good week, if Woolen follows up a good week in mobile by, you know, running four, four, five, jumping 40 inches, they're probably going to be selected on the second day of the draft, maybe third day for him. Cause I don't think his film is quite as good as Jeremy Chin's or Kyle's Kyle Duggars were, but Tariq Wollen is that convert where I would like to see him play safety and be the next, you know, Saran Neal in this defense that he's not playing a ton, but as the Bills, you know, have their all pro safeties now into their thirties to continue to look at the future of that position. What might it look like to be a third safety in 2023 or 2024? I think Tariq Wollen fits that mold of small school little bit raw, but insane potential that we've seen Brandon being, like I mentioned before, love to pick in the draft. Feels like he'd be a one heck of a team's guy until then, too. Oh, yeah. Just, Absolutely. just a freaky, freaky team's guy. Moving along, I want to talk about someone who has some bloodlines in this particular class, and that is University of Georgia running back James Cook. If you think that last name sounds familiar when I bring up bloodlines, it's because he is the younger brother of Minnesota Vikings running backs, Dalvin Cook. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Jim Nagy, who is the director of the Senior Bowl, openly said that, you know, I think that James Cook could show some versatility at the Senior Bowl. He brought up Antonio Gibson, who was a wide receiver and got play at running back. He got brought up Demetric Felton last year, who was a running back and got listed as wide receiver. And then also he, James Cook, he used it in that exact same lumped group, which I thought may have been maybe a little bit strong, but I had him listed as a potential gadget player, which is why when I was going through my notes, I couldn't find him because I have a rule that I put all the gadget players in wide receivers. That's where I put them all. And I was going to look for him before our show. And I'm like, I can't find him. He's not my running back. And I was like, oh, that's right. I put him under wide receiver because he's might be a gadget player. So knowing that the numbers aren't quite as gaudy for cook and knowing that 
running backs and tight ends. It's really a lot of trait proje- projection. We know this because of what happened to Antonio Gibson. I mean, Antonio Gibson barely carried the ball at all and got drafted as a running back because traits, traits, traits. Dawson Knox caught like four passes in college and got drafted on day two as a tight end because, again, traits, traits, traits. So when you look at Cook, number one, do you think it's fair for Nagy to put him in that group right now? And number two, is he somebody who you would just say, you know what, he's a running back? No, he's a running back. Or do you think maybe he's a gadget guy? I think he's a gadget guy. And I he's bigger than Demetric Felton. Kenny Gainwell was another one. And all those players... I mean, obviously Antonio Gibson, but Demetric Felton and Kenny Gainwell, they flash in their rookie seasons. They're certainly not quite Debo Samuel, but we will see more teams pick slot receivers that can play running back and vice versa. Now, James Cook is a lot like really every Georgia running back in that the volume is not really there. I mean, even when Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle were there together, by the time they were seniors, they were sharing the low. They both had a thousand yards, but it was never a, 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 a feature back situation where there's crazy production. And he had Zamir white, who was like the number one, number one running back in the nation um, as a recruit in that same backfield. That's why you didn't see a lot of the production, but speaking of traits in, and I vividly remember watching and scouting and evaluating Delvin cook at Florida state. I'll come right off the top of it and say, James cook is not obviously as talented as his brother, but, what I remember from watching Delvin Cook is that he is truly deceptively smooth and fast. Like everyone thought at the combine, Delvin Cook, because he had so many breakaway runs at Florida State that he was going to run like in the four threes. He ran like four four eight or four four nine, if I remember correctly. That's kind of how James Cook feels that he's probably not going to run crazy fast, but on the football field, he runs away from SEC defensive backs down the field. And then they had him as the jet sweep guy. He caught a couple long passes against Michigan in the college football playoff. And that was routine for him. I I don't know if he runs super crisp slot receiver routes, but I think he's good enough doing that where he would be a mismatch against a bigger linebacker or even a slot corner. That's a little bit smaller because there is decent size to his frame. I also think that James cook would add a lot to the bills run game in that beyond the breakaway speed, the vision is very good. Um, the, a, a lot of what Georgia likes to do is there. It's a lot of um, power running, a lot of gap scheme, a lot of pulling guards. He did a great job. I thought even in the college football championship against Alabama of again, reading blocks before they materialize. So to add more depth to the running back group, even for this team that is going to be very pass happy, I don't think would be the worst idea. I have him graded, uh, probably in the fourth round. I mean, based on last year's grades, it would it, he would have been around a fourth round pick. Uh, I, I tend to to have running backs graded a little bit lower than the consensus just because of positional value. But we were talking about Kyle Phillips at the outset of this interview. Could he be that Isaiah McKenzie gadget type? James Cook could be that guy, more of that wide back that we saw during these playoffs and really all regular season from Debo Samuel. James Cook was actually the... Georgia Bulldogs leading receiver in the game against Alabama. A lot of people don't remember that, but four catches for 112 yards. Moving on to the last player that I have on the list for the senior bowl, another defensive tackle because I just love him, And that is Alabama defensive tackle, Fedarian Mathis. Now, the thing that always stuck out to me about Fedarian Mathis is number one, 
anytime you have those Alabama defensive linemen, they're always so impeccably well coached. And yeah. the the technique is perfect. And the way that Fedarian Mathis takes on double teams is just so good. And so when I look at him and I think it's always so difficult to separate out how good these players are relative to number one, their ceiling, because that's one of the things that I've constantly heard about Alabama players is how close are they to already maxed out when they get into the NFL because of how well coached they were for a long time. Iowa offensive linemen were the same way. You were like, okay, you're going to get an Iowa offensive lineman, but this is as good as he's ever going to get because of how unbelievably well coached. You're almost like, it's almost like a negative. And when I look at Alabama defensive linemen, number one, I always have that kind of thing pop up and kind of speak to me in the little back of my head, but also how difficult it is to separate him out from the talent around him, which was so good. But then I see him on film and I see him take on a double team and I go, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Man, I could use that on my defensive line. And I have a feeling a lot of teams are going to feel that. Tell me what you think about Federian Mathis. I like him a lot. I, I, I like that there is some athleticism to his game. I, I always value the ability to rush the passer. I think any of these Alabama interior linemen, I mean, or m- most of them are more two gappers than guys that are going to attack up the field. But bringing back to our, to an earlier question about, you know, the ability to two gap as opposed to pushing the pocket. You're right. Fedarian Mathis, when it comes to two gapping and taking on a double team, you know, th- those dirty work tasks that you have to be able to execute at the one technique position he might be as good as anyone in this class. And, and and he's not the biggest, he's not the widest, but I think he's got great length. And you're right, he's been well coached. The NFL body is already there. I think that his conditioning is pretty good. I mean, he was making plays back in 2019 at Alabama and kind of put himself on the draft radar. Do I think he's ever going to be like a eight and a half to 12 and a half sack player or a 50, 60 pressure player per season? Probably not, but... If the Bills are like, look, we really need a decently athletic guy that can two-gap and will take on double teams, like you mentioned, Federian Mathis should be very high on their radar. I feel like he is a day two pick, third, maybe fourth round, because there's not a crazy amount of pass rushing upside, like you mentioned. And a lot of these Alabama defensive linemen come into the NFL as grown men already, that there's not crazy potential. But right now, I, I mean, even with Josh Allen being 26, the Bills should not be all in, but they should be thinking about the present. This is like we're no longer in, you know, build out for the future for the next 10 to 15 years. He can be an instant impact type of guy that would fill that Star Latulale role, where I think toward the end of Star Latulale's uh, career in Buffalo, people realize, hey, he, he's kind of important that when he's not on the field like he was in 2020. The run defense isn't as good at Oliver's taking on double teams at 285 pounds. Fedarian Mathis can be that two-gapping extraordinaire who can also be a specialist at eating double teams and just helping the Bills defense get the numbers advantage against the run and when guys are trying to attack the perimeter or at Oliver in the middle. Ladies and gentlemen, we should consider ourselves very fortunate because I managed to get a draft guy in the middle of Senior Bowl week to come on this show, you guys should be very, very fortunate that Mr. Trapasso was able to make time. Chris, thank you so much for being a part of this. I really appreciate it. When I had you on before the season, you said, okay, bring me back on after the season. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And you were probably like, well, not now, not right now. I mean, <laughs> before the draft, but after senior bowl, come on, man, what are you doing to me? So I really appreciate you being on. 
I really appreciate you taking the time, getting us caught up on some of these people to watch. Obviously, we could go for hours. We've already been going for 40 minutes, and this is not even the entirety of the podcast. So this episode is going to end up being ridiculously long. But I really appreciate you being here. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, what you're up to. I know that you've always got the young quarterbacks things going at CBS, which I, I try to read and retweet them. Every time I see him, just because it's so good to compare next to each other, because everybody's trying to kind of think about this guy versus this guy and this guy versus this guy. And they're still doing it with the 2018 class. And it's been yeah. years. But thanks so much. <laughs> Tell everyone where they can find you, what you're working on. All right. CBSSports.com slash NFL slash draft. But that's kind of obvious. You probably knew that if you're listening um, two new ventures, relatively new. Find me on TikTok. I do a lot of film reviews. I'm kind of diving more into the NFL draft now with it being draft season, senior bowl week. As soon as we know it, the combine will be here. And I am selling my grading system. I call it the scouting grade book linked in my bio on Twitter, linked in my bio on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, it's just the system that I, the grading system that I built out over the past four years. Uh, it comes preloaded with over 300 prospects for this draft class. You can even get a package deal now where I finally got an in with some all 22 college football film. You can get the access to the film database along with your own grading system where you can decide for yourself who you think the Bills should draft or, hey, I don't really think uh, Federian Mathis is that good because I watched the film, I graded him, and his grade came out relatively low. There's formulas all set up. The big board builds itself as you're grading. If, if you're doing this for fun, for a hobby, if you – have your own blog. Um, and I think I got to get you one, Bruce, because I know you dive pretty deep into it. And I'm very gracious for you having me on. So that's where you can find me. And let's talk again, like post combine or after free agency, where we get that reset of the roster. I love talking draft and talking bill. So this is a perfect match. Thank you very much. And for those of you out there, if you are someone who was tuning this podcast out because you're like, I just can't do it. I can't get to the next one. Well, you know what? You're lost first off, but second off, I don't know what else to tell you, except that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.
Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.